Oh, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Thank you all for, for leading us this morning. So glad that each of you are here, and um, I want to invite you, if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, all the way back to chapter 5. I told you last week that we were going to continue our study on marriage, and God's design for marriage is more than being hitched, more than being hitched, far, far, far greater than that. So today, with the Lord's help, we will um, continue to teach and uh, help us understand this incredible um, covenant that God has ordained in marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter, or at least to 32, and we'll begin from there. Before I do, I want to open in prayer and ask God to do what only He can do, and that's to teach us. So I thank Him for His faithfulness. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You so much for Your Word. God, I want to thank You so much for each and every person that is here this morning. And I know that as we begin to teach on the subject of your design for marriage, that for many people here today, it may bring sadness of heart. For some, they've experienced the tragedy of divorce in their own lives, and they know the hurt and the pain that has been caused through that experience. I know for others, we have here uh, widows and widowers that have lost their love of their life that have gone on to be with the Lord who have passed away. And so this morning they're here and Father, they have pain in their own heart as they remember the joy and the blessing of the partner that they were given to spend life with. For others this morning, they're anticipating and anxiously awaiting the day when they meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright and they look forward to the opportunity to spend their life and find that relationship that so seems to complete each and every one of us. And then for the remaining group here today, we're married. And we're in the, the midst of marriage. Some of us in different seasons of marriage. Some are just beginning. Some are in the middle of their, their, their journey of marriage. And others are, are further along. And Lord, every single one of us this morning needs to hear this message and the ones that will be teaching about marriage. I understand that our society is completely and totally, absolutely confused and misled about your perfect design for marriage. I thank you that your word lays out for us clearly your perfect plan and design for each of us in marriage. So, Lord, no matter where we are this morning, I pray for those that are grieving, that, Lord, you'll bring healing to their heart. I pray for those that are maybe even angry this morning at even the topic of marriage because of their experience, their pain, their hurt, maybe even their unforgiveness of a spouse who went astray and went outside the marriage covenant and abandoned them and their family. Lord, you know all the details, and for the rest of us, God, we desperately need to know this in a society that is doing all it can do to completely strip away the foundation of the family and the marriage. We know Satan is behind it all. Thank you, God, that you have given us your word that will help each of us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, join with me here in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 22. 
I want to read this section of, of Scripture, and the ironic thing is we probably won't even get to it. But I want this to start working through your mind. There really is no greater passage of Scripture, I think, in the Bible that's going to lay out and illustrate for us God's design here in marriage. But before we get to this aspect of the role that the wife has in marriage and the role that the husband has in marriage, both of them before God, it's important that we understand what a covenant is. It's important that we understand that marriage is not the, the, the makeup or a decision that some society just happened to throw together one day. That God, the very creator of all things, orchestrated, created, and coveted, covenant, made a covenant surrounding marriage. Because there's a purpose in what God was doing, even from the very beginning in the first family God was doing something that would be used throughout all creation to fulfill his plan and his purpose upon the earth, and he was showing it through marriage. He was fulfilling it through marriage. He was bringing it to pass through marriage and through family. And so this morning, I pray that God will help us to begin to understand why marriage is such an incredible gift that he gave to mankind. What, what is this whole thing all about? Let's start in verse 22. Now, you wives are probably not going to be real um, affectionate toward your husband and certainly not happy with me, but I want you to know this, guys. Listen to me and hear my heart. I really don't care what the culture says and what's popular, but these are not my words. The, what I'm sharing with you today is not my opinion. What I will share with you today, and I make this commitment to you, that I will only share with you what the Word of God says in regards to His creation and to the covenant and to the giving of a family and a marriage. That's all we're going to look at. So if you really don't like what's being said here today, please, uh, you don't have to throw tomatoes this morning, right? Um, and husbands, be careful on this. I look down here and I see the wives have a whole whopping two verses Wait till you get into the meat of what you're accountable to God for. And what we have to understand as you look at this, this is what God's command is for the wife and for the woman. This is not what the woman's command is for the husband, and this is not what the husband's command is for the woman. And I know we have jokingly done this and say, well, women or woman, whatever you want to say, and you get up off the floor after you've said that. <laughs> the Bible says that you are supposed to submit to me. Well, the Bible does say this, but he has no understanding what that means. And then we move into the husband section here next. Let's go here. We got short time to get where we got to go, so let's roll. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing uh, with water through the word, and to present 
her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for it, for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I wanted to read this. We'll read it again next week, and I want us to begin to let this soak in just a little bit about God's design for marriage. There are three primary institutions ordained by God that He is using to bring about His purposes and accomplish His will upon the earth. Number one is the family. Number two are his people or the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And number three, the last institution ordained by God, primarily that is used, these three, is the government. That God has set in place governments to also accomplish his will and his purpose upon this earth. So once again, we're going to be looking this morning at only the first one, and that is going to be the institution of the family. And we know that the foundation of this institution begins with marriage. That's where it begins. So this morning, whether you're, you're single or you're here this morning, and I want to say this about some of you that are single. Listen, there are those that do have, if you will, the gift of singleness. And the truth is, not everybody has to find their fulfillment and should not find their fulfillment within another person. Our fulfillment should be found first in Christ. That's number one. And there are those who have a gift of singleness. And what I mean by that is that Christ is the fulfillment of everything they need. And so some people can live their life that way. But Paul says, listen, not many of you can do that. And we know that to be the case in our society today, obviously. Then maybe you're here, you're divorced, and maybe you're still single from your previous marriage. You're divorced and maybe remarried. Possibly here today you're a widow or a widower, and you no longer have the person that you committed to spend your life with. They've already gone on before you, and you're left here today. And then obviously those of us who are married. Now it's no secret for each of us in this room that in our culture and in our day that marriage has fallen on hard times. Absolutely no secret. We understand that. In fact, depending on whatever study you want to look at, uh, anywhere from 40 to 50% of all people who marry, their marriages end in divorce. And it's not uh, much better in the church, let's just say that. We also don't even have within these figures something that has become very, very prolific in our day, and that is cohabitation. It's not even the fact that people any longer are even deciding to marry. It's that they just decide that, hey, I'd like to try you out for a while. Let's see if this thing's going to work. And they just move in together. There's not been any, anything done as far as making a commitment to one another. It's actually just a trial run. 
So as our societies become more and more and more debased, if you will, and depraved, we have, we have more and more people not committing to this covenant of marriage or this, this design of marriage. In fact, they're completely just saying, we don't want anything to do with marriage. We just want to try this thing out. And there's absolutely no commitment whatsoever. We're just going to try this baby out before we buy it. That's not how it works. And I'm going to teach you through the word of God something that we really desperately need to understand here is that when God made a covenant and when God established marriage and when God designed this whole thing of a man and a woman and marriage and family, this institution, when you begin to grasp what the God of all creation has designed here, you're going to have a whole lot greater appreciation for your marriage. See, our culture has taken marriage that used to be way up here on the top shelf and they put it now down on the very bottom rack. It absolutely has very little value to many people in our day. For most people, it's nothing more than a contract. I will be with you until I no longer want you. We're going to try this thing out. And I understand in a society of unbelievers that this may be the case. They don't understand this. You all are aware of this. You were married probably before some of you, before you were even um, a Christian. You didn't know. You had no idea what you were actually entering into when you entered into it. You had no concept of it. But even those who do not know Christ still know there's something holy about marriage. There's something sacred about marriage. They know that. And so what we're going to do as we go through this study is to help you understand this incredible, absolutely only God could design this, his pattern, his plan, and his purpose for marriage. And I want to say this too to moms and dads, listen to me. We had our children up here this morning with their parents, and it's our job, it says, to train up our children in the way that they should go. It's my responsibility as we're going to learn here as we get back to Ephesians chapter 5 for the Father, that we are to be the spiritual leaders of our home, that we're to set the boundaries in our home, that we're to be the protectors and the providers, that I have a responsibility in my own home to set parameters for my children. I have to do this. And this, we have to understand this so that when your child, in the midst of the most um, raging time in their life through hormones and so on and so forth, when they come to you and ask you these questions, your answer is not simply, don't, because I said, it's, I said not to. What our answer must be, Dad, is I want you to come to the Word of God with me, son or daughter. I want to show you exactly why we don't. I want you to know why we won't. Because every single time we go outside the covenant boundary that God set within marriage, Death always happens, every time. Every single time, death happens. And I know that this, hey, I got a question. How many of you in here, this is, this is serious. How many of you, have, you remember courting? I mean, come on, be honest. Some of you did, okay? Look at all the hands, right? Let me ask you this. Was courting just casual? I'm getting confused statements here. When you went to a dad and you said, hey, hey, pop. No, you didn't say that. 
hey, Mr. So-and-so, I want to let you know that I'm interested in courting your daughter. What were you saying? I'm interested, in fact, I'm so interested in your daughter that I'm pursuing your daughter with the intent of marrying her. I remember my grandfather telling me stories about when he was courting my grandmother and the things that were taboo and off limits, wow. You sat in the home with the family present. There was no lap sitting. There was no affection. There was none of the PDA going on. And let me tell you something, you respected the dad because he wasn't playing. But over time, in our culture, we moved from courting with the intention of marrying, not just casual, hey man, let's go try her out for a day. No. What was the deal? We moved to a casual dating experience. And now we have kids literally from the time they're in eighth grade all the way through high school, they're in these monogamous boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. Let me tell you something I can guarantee you. If you allow two teenagers to be together in a monogamous relationship long enough, something's going to happen. I don't care how strong your conviction is, it's going to happen. Something's going to take place. And oftentimes, as parents, we think it's cute when our kids are doing these things, but what we're doing is we're actually setting them up for failure. And then I'll have a parent come to me and say, I just can't believe that old Johnny did that. I can't believe it took this long. Why is that? Because the natural progression of a man and woman who have affection, who have a desire, is to move toward oneness. That's what happens. I want to encourage you parents to really consider this. I've set strict boundaries in my own family, and I'm not very popular for it. But I, I have a reason for that. And this is what we're going to look at as we break this thing down. So mom and dad, you're going to be able to come to your kid and say, this is why we don't, this is why we won't, because this is what God said. And then it's going to be up to them to follow through. All right, so let's move through here and see what the Word of God has to say about a covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is a legally binding agreement between God and man, or between men, groups, people. To each party, they are required to fulfill the requirement of this agreement. We are gathered here today in the presence of God and these witnesses to join together in marriage this man, this woman, in holy matrimony. People say, man, when I got married, I didn't, I didn't make a covenant. Oh, yeah, you did. The groundwork for the covenant was this. Do you intend? I do. Will you promise to love, to cherish? We go down through it, all the way through. In sickness, in health, for better, for worse, rich, for poor, all this till in death do we part. If so, say, I do. And you did. And you did. You were before witnesses and before God. And you were before a man that was, was bringing forth a ceremony and you committed in covenant to do something. And this is what we're going to look at today. We have to understand something about the covenant nature that God is the one who, who or originated it. 
He's the one that designed it. And God alone is the one that can set the guidelines and parameters for the covenant coming to an end. Only God can do that. And he did do that. He did give some allowances for that to happen within the confines of this covenant. And we can look at that later as well. Malachi 2, 13 through 15, for those that don't believe a marriage is a marriage covenant, says this. Speaking to Israel, some of the things that they had done. Another thing you do, God says, is you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and your wife. Who is the witness? God is. Between you and your wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the God, the one God, made you? You belong to him in the body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not, let unfaith, do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Right here in Malachi, it says that the marriage is a covenant. It is a covenant that God brings together in what he does. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 2. We spent some time there last week at the creation of the first man and the first woman. In chapter 2, verse 20 through 24, we have this. So the man gave names to all the livestock we know that God created Adam from the dust of the earth, just a ways up there in chapter 2, that he breathed into his nostrils and he became a living being. And he's now been given the, the task of naming the creation that God has made. That's what he's doing. And then it says here in verse 20, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Something very interesting here, and we talked about this briefly last week, that the word rib there actually translated 90% of the time in the Old Testament, over 41 different times. Out of that, 90% of them is not translated rib, it's translated side, part of the man. What's fascinating to me is that when God made woman, he didn't go back to the dirt and make her. He took something out of man, removed it. And he fashioned for himself what he took out of man, and God fashioned for him now a perfect help meet. That's what that is, help meet. And the fact that he created for Adam something perfectly designed to complement him as a man and fulfill the purposes of God. Listen, this is from eternity past that God had designed all this to happen. And now he makes from Adam something, he removes it from Adam, he closes up the, the wound that he made, and he fashions for himself a woman. And now the woman is brought to Adam, and he now says, oh, wow, woman, this is 
Flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. She shall become called woman because she was taken out of man. So now all of a sudden, God does something incredible here. He takes one and now he divides. And what does he do? Separates the two and makes two. Now listen, this is really incredible and I'm not gonna get into this in real deepness today. So God took one, he cut it, divided it, made two, and now what God says is that the two come back together and when they come back together, guess what they make? One flesh. There's something incredible that happens and you know exactly what I'm talking about when you find that person that you wanna spend the rest of your life with. You know how many times I've heard people say, well, he or she just completes me. It's true. And God took now, and he has two, and now he takes two, and he says the, the, that the man will leave what? The father and mother. He is the result of the two who became one flesh. Now the son over here leaves the father and mother, and he's one, and there's another one. And the two become one flesh, and we have another. It's an incredible thing. And remember, Paul says what he's talking about here in marriage is that God was showing us something through marriage, and that is how Christ and the body of Christ, who were once two, have now become one flesh. You and I are in the body of Christ. I once was a foreigner, an alien, separated from God because of my sin, but because of what Christ Jesus did, and by faith in Christ, I was placed in Christ Jesus. I am one with Christ. Did you know that you are one with Christ? That you are in Christ? Did you know that when you and your wife were separate, you come together, you became one flesh again? That is the two separate things, one created from the other, came back together, and now we have fellowship, we have union, we have communion. That's exactly what happens. In the Garden of Eden, that's what happened when Eve sinned and Adam sinned. Guess what? They lost their communion with God. They were separated from God. They had perfect oneness with God in the Garden of Eden. Sin happens. And now all the way down through time, man is alienated from God, still has no relationship with God. We're separated from God. We're an enemy of God. And now comes Christ. And now Christ comes on the scene and he makes a new covenant. Listen to what I'm telling you. He tells his disciples on the night before he was crucified that this, as he holds up the cup after they took the Passover lamb and actually took it in, they now he holds the cup up and says, this is the blood of my covenant with you. It's a new covenant. And that in this covenant and in the eating and the breaking of this body and this bread and the drinking of the wine, listen to me, Jesus says something is happening here. I am gonna take a man and a woman who is lost, degenerate, away from God, out of fellowship with God, needing to be somehow brought back into relationship with God. And there's absolutely no way that can happen outside of what Christ Jesus has done. He goes to the cross, he is the sacrifice that happens, he is the blood sacrifice that happens, and he's making a covenant with mankind and every single person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, guess what happens? They are united with Christ and the two became one flesh and I am in Christ and I will always be in Christ. You this morning, if you're a Christian, you are in Christ Jesus. And now guess what happened? 
Now I have complete and total fellowship with God. I have communion with God. I am in a right relationship with God. Why? Because I came and I am in Christ Jesus now and I will be for all eternity. He's the head, we are the body. It's incredible and we haven't even got into the good stuff. It's amazing. I got three minutes. I hate the clock. Let me share with you these three primary reasons that God ordained marriage. If you get this, you'll understand it a little bit better. And only one of them is about you. Only one of them. First one is procreation. Procreation. This is not about man passing along his name, although that's kind of what we think, right? I don't know too many men out there that don't want at least to have a son to pass on their name. Doesn't always happen, but we would like that deep in the recesses of our heart. We'd like to be able to carry on the family name, right? That wasn't God's purpose, that he would carry on your name. The first purpose that we see here in the covenant of marriage and the design of marriage was this. That God in his name would be proclaimed throughout the earth. That God would reign upon the earth through mankind who bear his image. In Genesis 1, 28, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, what did he say? He said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue the earth. Rule of the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves upon the ground. The first purpose in marriage and God's design and covenant for marriage is not about you. It is about him. And God's greatest purpose in making man and woman and the covenant of marriage was that they would raise their children. They would come together as one in union, and out of that would come children And those children who are made in the image of God would become proclaimers of the God who created all mankind and all creation. That's the first reason for marriage. He said, he says, listen, be fruitful and multiply, man. Let's get this thing going. Fill this earth up and let's subdue this baby. And I've already given you the power and the authority to reign over the entire earth, Adam. That is what I have given you to do. You are made in my image. Nothing else in all creation was made in the image of God. Only man himself was made in the image of God. We are the image bearer of God. First thing was procreation. That's the first reason. Second thing is man's potential realization. This one is about you. This is about you. In 2.20 it says, For Adam no suitable helper was found. They will become one flesh. And God has given us each other to help us become that all that God has designed us to become. As we get into Ephesians chapter 5, you're going to learn something, sir and ma'am, that is very important. My responsibility as a husband should be this, that when I look at my wife and I have now been brought into this covenant relationship with my wife, as I learn what my responsibilities are, one of those is this. Number one, she belongs to God before she belongs to me. And my question really needs to be this, and this is going to go against a lot of things you think about marriage. Most men think it's all about them. It's not all about the man, trust me. One of my responsibilities is to look at my wife and ask the question, God, 
Why did you knit together in the womb of her mother, Cheryl? Why did you do that? What did you create her to be and what did you create her for? That ought to be something I need to be asking the father. And then my responsibility is I love her sacrificially as I lay my life down for her, as I give myself for her is this, God, I need to be responsible before you to make sure that she becomes everything that you created for her to be as a woman. That should be one thing that I'm responsible for. And she will never be that without me. Do you understand that? Because we're different. We're not the same. She'll never achieve that outside of our relationship together in a marriage setting. She will not do that. Same thing for men. Men, we take a lot of pride in what we become and what we do. But let me say this. Outside of a proper relationship with our wives and a wife that understands what it means to respect the husband and what it means to honor God and the way that she loves and honors her husband, unless that's there, the man will never rise to become all that God created for him to be in his manhood. He'll never do it. The wife ought to be asking God, okay, why did you create this man? Why did you design this man? And why did you give me to this man? And how do I help him become everything that you desire for him to be and why you created him to be at this time in this place? See, marriage is about sacrifice. People in our day, it's about lustful taking. That's what it is. It's about, oh, I just want, I just grab. There's no love, there's no concern. Young lady, if you have a man that will not wait for you in marriage, he doesn't love you. If he loved you, he would honor God and say, it's my job to make sure that she's holy, pure, and blameless before God. If you have a man that won't wait for you, tell him to hit the road, Jack. There's a story about a man on an island that still paid dowries for women. When they married, some of you fathers are like, man, I wish we got back to that. I'm tired of paying for the wedding. Let's let a man pay me for the bride, right? Well, this was a poor island and there were some wealthy. This young man happened to be fairly well off. He went to this home and he told this man's, this, this, this girl's uh, father, I want to marry your daughter. What is the cost for your daughter? He said, it's one cow. The man said, no, I brought six cows, eight cows. I brought eight cows. He said, there's only one cow, man. That's all it is, one cow. He says, nope, eight cows. That's the price that I will pay for your daughter. That man literally went from being poor to being wealthy among the people of the island. He gladly gave his daughter to the man, but this was not something that would set in his craw, and he couldn't understand it. So as time went by, he went over to visit his daughter on the other side of the island and this man, he had a question he needed to know. Why in the world would this guy pay this for my daughter? I don't understand it. He knocks on the door and a young lady opens the door and they begin to converse. He says, I'm here to see so-and-so and so-and-so. And the young lady was beautiful, had flowers in her hair. She's wearing an incredible dress. I mean, she looks absolutely magnificent. She is incredibly gorgeous. She is beautiful. And the man didn't even recognize his own daughter. And she says, Father, don't you recognize me? He didn't even recognize his own daughter. 
The husband comes home and he says, I've got to ask you a question. Why in the world would you pay eight cows for a one cow uh, bid for my daughter? He said, let me tell you why. Because I want your daughter to know that she's an eight cow woman, not a one cow woman. That's why. Number one. And the other reason is, sir, I want this whole island to know that my wife's an eight cow wife, not a one cow wife. And let me tell you how significant that is. Men, our responsibility of what we have the power to do for our wives, to our wives, is absolutely incredible. Our wife needs to know she is an eight cow woman. She needs to know that. Ladies, be careful. We'll get you next week. She needs to know that. Young ladies, don't sell for a man that wants a one-cow woman. You hear me? Don't settle for him. He'll never treat you right. He'll never give you the honor you deserve. He'll never love you right. He will not do that. Why? Because he's not looking for something great. He's looking for something that will fulfill his needs. And you demand that a young man pay a high price for you, and you give him the goods when he marries you. You understand me? It's important. It's important. Man's potential realization. That's for me. I'm telling you today, I stand here today in, in, a, in a large part because of my wife. I can't do this without my wife. See, if my wife told me tomorrow, John, I'm through. Guess what? I've got to be through. I can't do this without my wife. Sir, look at all the things that you do. You can't do it without your wife. You cannot. You're so blessed. You guys that have wives that go out and get gates for you when you feed, how awesome is that? Right? They put up with our craziness. And if you're in the cow business, your wife needs to be, she needs some reward, man. Let me tell you. The truth is, men and women, we become what God created us to be in fullness when we, when we are used by God to bring about what God designed our wife to be. So if my wife's desire is X, Y, and Z, and it's part of God's calling in her life, then it should be my responsibility to say, okay, how can I make that happen in your life? How can I do that? Finally, we got to roll up here. God's redemptive illustration. Marriage. We're going to get into this next week. We are placed in Christ. We are the body of Christ. And this marriage is a picture of the new covenant of God through his son in redemption. So God's purpose in marriage, as we learned about this mystery, is that when the world looks at Christian marriage... As crazy as it is, as hard as it is, as imperfect as every single marriage is, they look at us and they go, man, what is that all about? Woman, why in the world would you honor and respect that fool? Why would you do that? Sir, why do you sacrifice so much for your wife? What is going on here? Our society says, listen, indulge me, please. And what you'll learn about what happened in the garden is a result of the failure to do what God says 
in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we're out of time already. And God, only you can teach us. We live in such a jacked up culture that looks at marriage as a throwaway paper plate. But oh God, your design for marriage, your covenant relationship in marriage is absolutely incredible. Lord, forgive me for not being the husband that I should be. God, you know I have so much room for improvement. And every time I study this and teach this, Lord, it is convicting to me as a husband, as a father, and as a man. And I thank you, God, that you are faithful, that you are merciful, and that you are grace in, your, your mercy and grace is so new every single day. Lord, for each of us here that are married, God, help us, Lord, to, to understand this incredible picture of marriage. Oh, God, Lord, help us to know how valuable this is and the purpose of it and to realize why Satan absolutely hates it with every fiber of his soon-to-be-thrown-in-the-pit self. May we guard our marriages. May we love our wives. May we respect and honor our husbands as if unto the Lord. I thank you for every person that's here. Lord, if I have said anything, Father, that has not been, been, been right, Lord, please forgive me of that. And please, Lord, please make it clear in the hearts of your people. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for this incredible, incredible image and gift of marriage. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Anybody needs prayer?